from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. And a welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop. Rosie and I were off the air talking about fishing, and it's taking us away, but I want to make sure I get him on the air here so that we can talk a little bit about everything as, as Syracuse is fishing for that opportunity to get into the NCAA tournament. So with that being said, we're back here inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, and of course, happy that you are here with us every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. A trio of guests for Tourney Time Talk today from Syracuse History. Dale Shackelford was first, Roosevelt Bowie with us now, and Gene Waldron coming up in just a little bit inside of MonPazPopcorn.com's What's Poppin'. So with that being said, Mr. Roosevelt Bowie Jr., we were talking off the air about it, and so before we get into basketball, for those that uh, didn't get to hear it the last time that you were on the show just what you're doing, because you have a very unique project. You're, you know, uh, you, you obviously have a love and a passion for fishing, but you're going to be extending that out, and you're going to be bringing that to people, and not only kind of, you know, person to person, but you know, maybe through everything that happened with Corona, you are, are now even more so looking at the technology of it and your ability to get out to people all over the country and, and all over the world. So tell people what your project is as you're taking your love for fishing and you're turning it into something that other people can enjoy and it can truly be a community effort. Well, as, uh, as you know, I started fishing really early. I started fishing at age six. Um, my grandmother took me out and it kind of gave me responsibility. I was able to catch fish and not get in too much trouble. And uh, by the time I was 14 and I was a pretty good fisherman and then I started playing basketball, but my love for fishing has always been there. And, um, and each, even as I was traveling around the world, I would come back home, and each one of my 20-plus nieces and nephews, I would take out to catch their first fish. By them living in the city, they didn't have much of a chance to, uh, in the city of Rochester, much of a chance to get out to the country. So I wanted to instill in them the beauty of nature, getting out of the house, and even more so during the times now, where they've been uh, accustomed to being inside and, and remote learning, um, to get them outside in in nature is just a, a beautiful thing. They've all loved it. I've seen the, the looks on their face, and, now, and all of them to this day are involved in fishing. So I took it one step further, uh, starting a not-for-profit to basically uh, teach uh, underprivileged children how to fish and to just get them out there. And it, I set it up as a, uh, it's being set up by a friend of mine and I, um, Guy Crump, and we were, we've done like a, a college course. Like, so if you want to just learn how to just put a, a worm on a hook and go and fish, that, that'll be our, our fishing 101. If you want to learn how to do everything from 101, 201, 301, 401, and even if you want to figure out how to, you can take a, an inexpensive uh, aluminum boat and make it into a really nice fishing boat, we're doing that also. I just had another, I've got two 18 footers and one 14 footer that I've been, that have been donated to me. And I've been, you know, working on putting them into, making them into really nice fishing boats. It's uh, one of my passions. And uh, just to see kids get out there and catch big fish for the first time or just a fish for the first time. 
and showing them how they can do it on their own, whether they want to do it from the dock or if they want to do it from uh, from boats that they make themselves. Yeah, you know, and it's it's really a cool thing and a beautiful thing what you're working on and what you're looking to do, Rosie. And, you know, I mean, what has this last year taught you? Did you get inspired by the fact that we were kind of all sitting at home and having to do things, you know, virtually and whatnot? I mean, what what really inspired you on top of, you know, your grandmother teaching you to fish and everything that you had growing up? What did this year do to kind of maybe push you even farther to do something? Well, that's it's kind of funny because, you know, we're just sitting around, I was sitting around here. I live in Kendall, which is uh, the epitome of uh, social distancing. We, we've been doing that forever. But the, taking it to another point, as soon as the weather started to break, normally I would fish a couple of days. I would, I would go out fishing for a couple of hours, a couple of days a week. And what I started noticing was uh, as soon as the weather broke, I was going out. I'd leave in the morning and I'd come back in the afternoon. I was fishing three, four, or five hours a day for four to five days a week. And two things happened. I was really getting into it. It was great to be outside after being inside. Um, I've had, I came across while out fishing foxes, uh, beaver, uh, just all kinds of interesting uh, animals while I was out fishing. And I noticed that when I came back, I was more relaxed and more, you know, just after the whole being bound up and tied up and being in, inside mentally I was just you know instead of being like Jack Nicholson is shining I was more relaxed and open to do things I said you know what during this particular time I think that's the last what people need and fishing during that time period boom because you could get out you know it's not you're done in big groups you can go by yourself or close family members and uh I was like you know what this is something that I need to be, I need to be doing let's figure out how to do it yeah you know and, and and for you you know Rosie as you have that time to relax and enjoy that you know and, and kind of take that all in before we get into you know tourney time talk and what's going on with Syracuse overall for you how have you become better as a human being in in you know 2020 to 2021 and what we've kind of been through because I, I told people if you're if you're stagnant you really didn't learn anything from this past year. So what, do, or if you're regressing, you really didn't learn anything. So what did you do to progress? Where have you progressed? Well, the one thing that I, that I'm really happy about is I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Europe and, you know, with the technology, the way that it is, I've used uh, video conferencing for, for quite some time, but it's been brought to the point where it's so easy and so quick. And, um, I've been able to stay in contact with people that I should have been more in contact with uh, over the past years, but during this particular time, I was able to to go online and, and stay in contact with a lot of close people that were close to me that I just really didn't take the time to, so I'm just taking the time to smell the coffee and get out and stay in contact with people. And that's a beautiful thing here, coming from Roosevelt Bowie Jr. this morning, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum and appreciate him being on the show as always, and hopefully we've all learned to stop and smell the roses and relax and take some time to appreciate what we have and appreciate the people that we have and, and understand that a lot of times we focus on all the things we don't have and not on the things that we do, and that's very unfortunate. So hopefully we've learned to appreciate what we do have and what's right in front of our faces. So it's a beautiful thing. 
Rosie, for you, speaking of appreciation, what do you appreciate the most about the fact that we had an NCAA basketball season, that we got to see this, that it got to get here, you know, everything paused last year during conference tournament week in the middle of the ACC tournament, only a couple days in. So what what do you appreciate the most that we got back to this point and actually got to have a season? What sticks out to you? Well, the one thing that sticks out to me is that uh, I was so very happy that there was anything that resembled a basketball season. I know it was not easy, and uh, the players had to really – one thing that I realized right away that you had to be flexible, you had to be open. There were going to be positive things and negative things that happened, but but you had to stay focused, stay um, under all protocols that were provided in order to make this this happen. And, and I was very glad to see them. First of all, when they came out during the the TBT and they started doing this this bubble type setup, I, I realized that it could happen and nobody better to do it than the staff that they have at Syracuse University and um, they were able to get it done and, and around the country also. Um, I remember thinking uh, when I was going to training camp like 25 years ago, I thought about if it was at this particular time with not the technology that they had back then, that we have now, we would have been able to do the same thing back then because for basically for that, that time of year, we spent a lot of time around the same 15 people or same 20 people all year round. So I knew I just, just thinking, thinking, thinking it through without any details, I, I thought it would have been possible. And then you have, you have the staff, uh, the trainers and the, the trainers, doctors, coaches that know players inside and out. So who better to keep an eye on you than the people that know you the best. So I was just very, very happy to, to see that there was a, they were going to attempt the season because I, I'm not the I'm not the guy to be afraid and sit at home. Um, if at all possible, if I can do, if there's some way to do it and be safe at doing it, I will always uh, I would always step out and do that. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that that's the thing. You know, some coaches criticized it. Some teams ended their season. Some carried on. Some said we need to do it. So you know, at one point, Jim Beheim said, "Listen, you know." They, they talk about, you know, the, the mental side of it. And he's like, we got a bunch of players that every year can't go home for the holidays. So, you know, because they're overseas and whatnot. So we've seen different teams do different things. And we've seen pauses all over the place. The fact that you said we had anything that resembled a season, I agree with. It's beautiful. Do you think it was worth all the starts and the stops and the, and the tests and the constant you know, question and going through it and contact tracing and different states having different rules. Do, do you see hindsight 2020 knowing that there were all these pauses and all these tests and all these things that had to go on and these kids really couldn't have a normal college life? Do you still think it was worth it after all that? I would say uh, look at the face of those guys that are going to be going out on the floor at 12 o'clock today and you tell me. I guarantee you they're all psyched. They're all happy that they did it. It was tough, and I'll just make it even sweeter. Whatever they accomplish, you know, and I and I would agree with you. You know, I think that you know people talk about how well you don't get to have a typical college experience. You don't get to do this. You don't get to do that. I'm like you. If you can do things safely, and I can make sure that you know I'm being good to other people and not just myself, and it's not a selfish act to go out and do something, I'm going to do it. You know, I spent some time in the house at the beginning of all of it. 
And then I was like, you know what? I want to see my mom. I want to see my dad. It's been a month and a half. I think I could do this safely. So I kind of, you know, I saw them, didn't hug them or give them a kiss on the cheek like I normally do. Then after a while of being around them, I'm like, okay, there's not a lot of people I've been around. And so, you know, doing that and connecting with them and then seeing my friends and, you know, doing, doing little things. But as much as people say we didn't get to have a normal year this year, this was one of the best years of my life. And it's because it caused me to stop, to pause, to think, to pray, to react, and to take care of myself. And healthy mind, healthy body has been like there in the background in my brain for a very long time, but I didn't use it. And I started walking. I started working on my body. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm taking care of myself. And it freed up my mind. It got me to think more clearly. I wasn't relying on outside help. I was getting that help from the inside out. And, you know, I mean, I can honestly say that as much as this year was different, it taught me a lot. It made me grow. It, like it gave me an opportunity to grow. And Rosie, you know it from playing the game. I cover the game. When you're in broadcasting or you're a player or you're a coach, a lot of the times we don't sleep. And not doing that for so long, we get used to it. We get used to always going, not sleeping. You're always practicing. I'm always, you know, figuring out a plan and editing this and putting this here and doing this there. And the coach is trying to figure out how to beat this team. So a lot of the times we're up until three o'clock in the morning, we're traveling all over the country. We're used to it. What this year did for me was it made me have time to sleep. It made me figure out better habits. It made me look at my schedule, change my schedule a little bit for the betterment of my health. And so I would venture to say that as much as this year was different, it was also an opportunity to essentially, in my opinion, God hit a reset button and we all had a chance to find a better way to live life. And I chose that and hopefully other people did as well. It's funny, it's funny you say that because I want you to think back. So it's, it's the, it's 1980. I just, uh, got drafted by the Dallas Mavericks and um, I had an opportunity to play in Europe. So I started looking into that and uh, they were really, really interested in having me come over there to play. I'd gone over there two years earlier with Syracuse University and played and I said, you know what, my best offers, they offered me the same money that the NBA was offering me, but to play 36, to play 36 games, you play 60 games less a year. Um, they were really uh, really wanted me to be there. They, I, I got there. They followed me. They, I, I mean, it was just something that I wanted to do, but I was afraid because it had not been done before. And so I went through it, and, I, and I, a lot of guys would go over there, and they would get bad habits, drinking, smoking, doing drugs. And, then, and at that, that point, I sat down and said, okay, listen, I'm, eight, I'm 22 years old. The habits that I have are, are, are you know, I was, I, I was basically raised in a church, so people I hung around, the things that I like to do were more or less church oriented. So I said, you know what, if I go over there, I'm not going to start drinking and smoking and doing drugs. It's something that I haven't done up to this point. Trust in yourself. Sure, I was nervous, a little scared, but I, the ultimate goal was to go over there and play basketball, which I knew I could do wherever it was, whatever language it was, and be able to uh, help out my family. So I took... Uh, and mind you, it was not easy because I have four sisters that before I ended up coming back home had 
it brought into this world six, eight, I had six or eight new little uh, nieces and nephews. So that was tough for me. Not being around my family was, was tough for me. Um, it wasn't easy, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. So uh, I just, you know, buckled down and, and went to, and I did it. And while I was there, it was so crazy because first, uh, probably the first week or so, I was looking for everything in in Europe, in Italy, that wasn't, that in the United States it was better. Yeah. And I found it. <laughs> and I felt miserable. So I woke up one morning and I said, you know what? I'm going to go look at things that are different and, and better here in Europe than in the States. And I started looking for those things and focusing on those things. And I noticed that my overall, <clears throat> my overall demeanor changed. I was more pleasant. I was I was constantly uh, looking for positive positive things and, and and talking to people, and my whole outlook changed from night 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 and day. Being depressed because I wasn't home to seeking and looking for things that were so much that were, that were really nice here that were different but nice, and so that changed that, that was that allowed me to be able to to find the good and what was going on and to actually change what I was doing. And so this past year, something similar, you know, um, I looked at one thing I looked at was this, this virus was pretty nasty, but it wasn't, it was, it was bad, but it wasn't nasty. And I say that because it, it, it wasn't, it's, we, we get, we listen to too much media and we think it's like nerve gas, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. It's it's a it's a virus that if you use hand sanitizer you can kill it. If you gargle you can kill it. If you wash with hot wa- hot water and soap you can kill it. So to me all that meant was adding to whatever. Whenever I went out or went away from the house, the first thing I came back in that I did when I came back in is I anything I touched I hand sanitized before I ate my food or did anything. I would um, I would. Um, I'd come back in the house, I'd gargle, and then I kept everything clean around the house. And I, I just said, you know what? All that did is reinforce things that I did in the past. I also live in Kendall, New York, you know, with the great metropolis. It might be uh, 1,500 people. And I've got maybe eight or ten people in my, uh, in my close group of people that I see all the time. And uh, it just made me stay focused and be aware, but you can't lock yourself away because you'll go crazy. So I just tried doing stuff, and when it was too much being inside, I'd get all bundled up, go outside, and I'd split wood for my wood stove, and and that just helped me focus on things to, to keep me in the right frame of mind. And it gave me the chance to work on the things that I was passionate about, and and find a way to bring them to more than more people than myself. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's the thing, you know, and I think that, you know, you. You hit the nail on the head when you said back then, you know, I decided to focus more on positive stuff. And instead of being down about this, I went, you know, let me let me see what's different here than anywhere else I've been. And let me take that in. You know, let me live in the moment because so many of us don't. We don't live in the moment. We live in the I wish I did this and the shoulda, woulda, couldas. None of those have places in my life. I should have done this. I could have done this. I would have done that. No. I'm not the type of guy to say, I should have asked that girl out. I would have gone for that job. I could have gone on that vacation. That's not me. So, you know, because I don't like living life with regret. And I don't like wondering what would this path be? What would that path be? And I've had people call me and say that from my past. You know, 
Dan, I really wonder what life would be like if I had done this, if I had said this to this person, if I had gone here, if I had lived there. And I was like, you know, at this point in your life, with everything you have, you know, why are you thinking that? You know, there's people that, that have families that, that say that to me. And I'm like, you know, you have something that so many people would desire. I don't, I don't have a significant other. I don't have kids yet. And to me, it's, you know, that's, that's such a beautiful part of the world. And there's people that have all that and they're going, yeah, but you know, if I did this, I wouldn't have to have this. And did I, you know, and, and I feel like just turning, it's not even changing what's in or out of your life. It's just changing your perspective. And that's what you and I are talking about today you know, Rosie, is that it's a change in perspective. It's what what's in front of our face is the same, but it's almost like taking one of those, I don't even know what to call them, what is it, the kaleidoscope, where you just turn it a little bit, and then all of a sudden what you see in front of you is a little bit different. I feel like that's essentially what we're saying today. Yeah, it, uh, it, I think it's, a, it's also a frame of mind. I think I've, I've always had that mindset. You know, I still remember when I was... Uh, I was a 16-year-old kid, so from age, uh, from age probably 14 to almost 16, I loved playing basketball. I was, I was okay at it. I wasn't very good at it, but I loved playing it. And by, by age 16, I had my, my best year in, uh, in, uh, in high school. I uh, averaged 19 points and 16 rebounds a game, which was, you know, it was pretty good for a 6'9 kid. I was 6'9, about a, maybe a 170 pounds. And, um, and, I, and I met this, uh, this guy, um, what was his name? He, he, he was the guy that ran five-star basketball camp. Five-star basketball camp is where Michael Jordan went, all the, uh, all the Duke players, North Carolina players. Uh, Rick, that's where Rick Pitino went to coach, and that's how he became one of the youngest coaches uh, to get a, a Division One head coaching job. Anybody that was anybody in basketball went to five-star basketball camp. Yeah. And so I went there, and the, the gentleman that used to run the five-star basketball camp, you know, he, I, I ran, came across him somewhere. He knew who I was, and he he walked up to me and he said, uh, he says, you know, you, you, you know, you did pretty good this year, but you'll never be a major college basketball player. He looked right in my face and said, you'll never be a major college basketball player. And I remember looking at him and saying, you know, I was raised right, so I didn't say anything bad to him. I just looked at him and I said, sir, Respectfully speaking, whether I become a, a major college basketball player or not doesn't depend on what you think of me. It depends on what I think of me. And then I went I went on my way. I saw him again the summer of my junior year. I had gone to five star basketball camp with Rick Patino and I was to uh, I was to be his uh, to demonstrate uh, a drill that we, a defensive drill that we did at Syracuse. And so uh, this guy comes up to me and his name Howie Garfinkel. He comes up to me and he looks at me and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, back then, you know, you were you're six nine and thin. Now you at that, that time I was like seven seven feet, about two about two twenty five, two thirty. And he and he, was, and he was giving me all these excuses. And when he finished, I looked at him again and I said, as I told you before, whether I become a major college basketball player or not does not depend on what you think of me. It depends on what I think of me. And I turned and I walked away. And if if I wasn't focused on on what I wanted to do, that could have been crushing to a sixteen year old kid. You know, a sixteen year old kid, six nine, a hundred and looked like I, I looked like a Q tip. I had a big afro and I was real skinny. But I didn't let that stop. I stayed focused on what I wanted to do. 
and I enjoyed what I was doing. So, and I looked at it from the point of view, maybe I'm not that good right now, <clears throat> but I will work as hard as I have to, and I will be better the, the older I get. So that's, you know, I, I try to look at it from a positive point of view, not taking, not, not accepting any of his negativity. I said, well, that, that would probably be, probably be important if he, you know, if, if he were the one that was doing all the work that I was doing, but since it was just his opinion, you know, everybody's allowed an opinion. And I just said, people always talk about, you know, everybody's allowed their opinion. I said, in my thoughts, I have this one thought that opinions are like, are like buttholes. Everybody has one, right? Yeah. But I had a buoyism to it. My buoyism is everybody has a butthole, but you don't run around showing yours everybody. <laughs> so, so you can have your opinion, keep it to yourself, and then have somebody else just go out and go and do what they're supposed to do. You know, it, it is funny how life comes full circle. And my dad, my dad would always say to me, he still does, he said, you know, Daniel, everybody has an opinion like everybody has and he said this, a similar type of thing. Everybody's got an opinion like everybody's got a butthole, you know? And, and he's like, sometimes people speak out of it. So, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me. And my dad will 100% appreciate this. So shout out to my dad, Ralph, uh, because what you just said. And I, I loved your spin on it. You know, opinions are like buttholes. We all got them, but you don't go around showing them to everybody. So... I mean, I'm going to take that with me, Rosie. I'm going to take that. And you know what? A lot of people's buttholes stink, too, just like their opinions. So I, uh, I'm i with you. I love it. And I think you, I mean, you made my morning with that this morning. You know, it's so funny that, and I, and I, and you, when, you, when I, when, when, you know, people, they will come up and they want to, well, I can have my opinion. And I, and I, and I, and I would say, you know what? You absolutely can have your opinion. And then I, I bestow that, those, those, uh, those seeds of knowledge on them. And then I leave them to think about it. And uh, <laughs> they, it's, it's amazing. They really don't have too much to say after I finish. So, like, you know, I wasn't, try, I wasn't trying to be mean or nasty. I was just merely stating a fact. And they're like, oh, man. Yeah. So it, uh, I, try, I, try to be as, uh, I try to be as correct as possible without being, you know, without being too naughty. But to at least help them understand, you know, you can have your opinion, but you know, keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or if you, or if you have to tell somebody about it, you know, <laughs> you know, be careful because they may clap back and have something interesting to tell you and give you some knowledge you can take home with you. Yeah. No, and it, and it's it is, and I and I love it. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it with me, Rosie. Before I let you go, I gotta get into the. I mean, we've had a fantastic conversation. I think it's gonna help anybody in any walk of life right now and and that's why i love what i get to do for a living basketball syracuse's side of things in my opinion they need to win two games again we talk about opinions i understand but you know in my in my thought process of what would make sense to the committee and sometimes the committee doesn't make sense to me but if they win two games if they beat nc state and they beat virginia then to me they've done enough in their resume that is going to put them in the tournament. What are your thoughts about Syracuse at this point and what they need to do in this ACC tournament to get in? Because we know that sometimes the rules feel like they change and sometimes it's this and that and there's different nuances to it. But the way that I've kind of broken it down is they need two 
The second one would be against Virginia, who, you know, has had themselves a pretty good season this season. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are I kind of break it down to the to the basics. I never look at it like everybody else does. I always, being the player, ex-player, I always look at it from, okay, going into this tournament, what does our mindset have to be? Um, so the things that, as Syracuse that I think about is these players up to this point, they've had a season behind them, uh, trust in the team because you know what your team is capable of. You know, you know the problems that you've had in the games that, you, that you've come up short. Um, and I can guarantee you Coach Beheim will give them a winning game plan. Uh, you've got to trust that game plan, follow that game plan. Yeah. And what we've learned about the team thus far is anybody can get hot on this team and and can get hot enough to take the team over the top. So my thought is identify that person and feed the hot hand. Get that guy the ball until you, until until it gets cold, and then find the other person and then get that ball, that person the ball. Because there's there's no saying if it's not broke, don't fix it. Fix it. If they can't figure out how to stop it, why go away from who's who's putting those points up? Um, the uh, fourth, my first thought, fourth thought is everybody's got to rebound. They're going to be a little undersized, and, and by being undersized, this means you don't focus on overpowering anyone. You focus on your quickness, like it. I was always told what you know when I would give camps. Guys would say, "I'm playing against a seven footer. Um, I'm like I'm like six nine. Um, how can I beat him on the post?" And I would tell them, "You don't beat him on the post. If you want to try to beat a seven footer on the post, you're playing into his strong points. Your yeah. strong points are agility and quickness. So you move away from him, and you can't box out or you can't hit what you can't catch. So focus on being active, agile, going after loose balls." Going after loose balls is huge because if the other, if you give the other team one shot and you get after every loose ball, it, after, after a while it gets to be, oh man, we we got we got to make this shot because we're not going to get a second chance. It's it's all in the mentality of when you're playing against that zone and in the zone, know your rotations, focus on your rotations, and and do them because if you miss rotations. That's when you start seeing players running at a shooter. And, and everybody knows in basketball, when you run at a shooter, you're just an accident waiting to happen. You're just waiting. For, he just gives you one pump fake, and you're gone one way, and he's shooting someplace else. So know your rotations. Keep the ball in front of you. Uh, pick up loose balls. Go after every rebound. The whole team, not just the bigs. Uh, feed the hot hand of the guys that are that are shooting. Uh, follow the game plan. Coach is going to give you a good one. And trust in your team. You got this far by doing that. Speaking here with Roosevelt Bowie Jr., Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum. Rosie, for you to go a little bit deeper to the bigs, uh, Frank Anselm had to deal with COVID this year. Also, you know, having to deal with the fact that he's trying to get acclimated with the team. We saw John Boljak, but quickly, really not much. He scored his first career points as a college basketball player this season. Uh, Baramek Sidibe has gone through injury, which has been Really sad for a guy that I respect and appreciate and love spending time with. So Jesse Edwards has had an opportunity to evolve. What can you say about Jesse and what, I mean, from a big to a big, what can you say to, you know, the 6'10 Jesse Edwards who has done some good things this season? I, I feel like, you know, at least in my eyes, you know, he's growing, he's looking to progress in different areas and whatnot. So what can you say about his play? and about what him being in the game does for Marek Dolajai, who's been playing out of position for 
almost his entire career at Syracuse? Well, first of all, uh, I was listed at 6'11", and I know I'm seven feet tall. And Jesse, <laughs> and Jesse Edwards looks me right eye to eye. So okay. Jesse's, Jesse's a big, he's a, he, he has a big man's, more than anything, he has a big man's mentality. He has the, he, he plays that spot. He enjoys playing that spot. He's aggressive at that spot. He creates hands up. He gives guys something else to focus on. When, when you, when you come in the game and you're playing against a, a, a center that is, that's his, you know, our, 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 our thing, mentality is the center. When you come into the paint, it's like you're standing on our kitchen table with your, with your feet and that's not acceptable. You're going to get you off. So he is, that's the way he feels about it. You can watch the way he, someone comes to the basket. He immediately attacks them with his hands up high, and then they start looking for the second option. That is that is something that's that's, 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 that's very good. I, I, I like this. I met him a couple years ago when we went to Italy, and I watched the way he played, and I could see flashes of myself in him and just from the, the fact that he he's like a sponge also. He wants to learn. He will go out and do whatever he needs to do. Um, but Division One basketball is you're thrown into the fire. Um, you get tossed in there, and you make a mistake at the center spot, and it, nine times out of ten, it ends up in a dunk. Yeah. Okay. And in the center spot, you also got to be that person that, even though you're playing your man, if somebody gets if somebody gets away if somebody gets away from their uh, gets away from their man, you're the person that's supposed to be there in position to be able to stop them and change that. So you got to be able to play your man and be aware of anybody else that gets past. It's, it's not like the guards make a mistake and, and their man gets past them. Um, they got two or three guys between them and the basket. Big guys make a mistake, you're right at the basket. So you got to be able to make your decisions and your rotations and be aware. Uh, another thing is a big man, you got to keep your hands up. Reason being, if your hands are down and a guy tries to dribble past you, habit will make you put your hands on that guy, which is a foul. And that's what Jesse did the last time. Um, uh, he, he came he came into the game, got caught the ball, put the ball on the ground. His hands were down. Even though he didn't hold them, referees, if they don't see both your hands when the guy's attacking you, they assume that you're holding. And they call the foul. So just just by fine-tuning a few things, um, he can get some good minutes in there. You know, Coach says he's not ready, but the way you get ready is playing a few minutes. And he get, he's getting he's, – he's becoming uh, – more valuable because he's learning and they're seeing that he's learning and it allows Merrick Doja to play I like Merrick I'm really I come from a European mentality I like Merrick at the three at the three yeah. where he gets the long rebound pushes the ball up the floor he's a great passer good things happen when the ball is in his hands even at the four if you got a big strong four and you're playing against Merrick you don't play Merrick on the baseline with his back to the basket you pop him out to the high post, make that big guy uncomfortable, make him run out there and have to play him. Where Merrick doesn't beat him with his with his strength, he beats him with doesn't beat him with his his physical strength. He beats him with his quickness and his agility to get to the basket. So, play guys. Um, you attack guys in what you know how to do best. That makes you stronger. You don't attack them what they're good at. So, if they're good at standing still and, and being a, a stand up strong man. You make them run around all day and chase you. So uh, those two circuit, those two uh, observations for me are, are important. But at, at, at any given time, when you put somebody in the game, they got to be ready to play. And if they're ready to play, get a few minutes, and you can. It, it also changes uh, the rotation that you can put. You can put uh, Quincy 
on the floor, he becomes he becomes the smallest. He becomes the smallest big on the floor. So yeah, <laughs> that, that's and then you can you can rotate. Uh, you can put Buddy at the shooter. You can put. Uh, you can just just you can play around with that, those things. And, and I'm sure Coach Beheim has all these things rolled around his head, and he will put them out there. He's done a pretty he's done a pretty good job at it. I think the Hall of Fame committee thought so. Yeah. Now coming from Roosevelt Bowie Jr. this morning on Wake Up Call, Rosie. I have to let you know before I let you go that Dale thanks me today because he was first on the show and the first to do Turning Time Talk this season on Wake Up Call that it's the first time he's ever been chosen above you and Gene Waldron. So he wanted to say thank you for that. Hey, listen, I wanted to, I wanted to mention that, that uh, hey, listen, Dale Shackerford was my captain, so uh, I have no problem in following him because I've followed him for years. That coming from Roosevelt Bowie Jr. Rosie, as always, I appreciate it. I love the analysis, and I love you know looking at life in general and everything you brought to the show today. A lot of positivity. Our conversations always go well beyond, and they always teach me something. So thank you for that. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you beyond basketball, and I look forward to talking with you soon, my friend, and I hope you enjoy the game today. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Dan.